That's right, it's Cosmic Dragon! Uh, I don't know why it came out with a heavy metal uh, arena voice. But it's Cosmic Dragon, episode 14. This is Sean Grigsby. And uh, today we're going to be talking to Nicholas Eames, who is the author of Kings of the Wild and the sequel, Bloody Rose, which is out now from Orbit Books. Before we jump into that, I want to talk about my books real quick. Uh, Daughters of Forgotten Light, just released on September 4th in the U.S., and uh, September 6th in the UK. So it's out now. You can get it in audiobook, in ebook, in paperback. And uh, if I do say so myself, it's pretty awesome. It's like Escape from New York meets Bitch Planet, the comic, uh, meets The Warriors. It's basically described as motorcycle girl gangs in space. They ride Tron like motorcycles that can cut people in half if they roll over them, they can shoot. Rang guns, which is short for boomerang, because they shoot these balls of light that bounce off the glass city of Oubliette. And of course, Smoke Eaters is out as well. That's Firefighters vs. Dragons. The sequel, Ash Kickers, comes out sometime next year. But enough about my stuff. Nicholas Eames, come on down. Welcome to Cosmic Dragon, episode 14. Thank you for having me. So, Kings of the Wild came out last year, and this month, the beginning of September, Bloody Rose came out. So how how's that going? Uh, things seem to be going pretty well with Bloody Rose. I was a bit uh, trepidatious uh, leading into the launch, but as uh, as it got closer and closer, I was a bit more confident that uh, that it was going to come out of the gate punching. So and it has. So it's been really it's been a huge pleasure to see people uh, react to it. For yeah, sure. yeah. And I saw that Orbit did this awesome thing where they had this package and it looked, I guess it looked like a cassettes or was it just the book or something else? No, inside they looked like, they looked like cassettes. Yeah. A bunch of them showed up at my house, unfortunately uh, broken just because the mail breaks things. Oh no. Um, but you can always get more cassette cases for them. But yeah, they were little cassette tapes and they inside was a link to the Spotify playlist and a code for the audiobook. Nice. A little classic eighties there. And I also saw that they, came out with some uh, t-shirts that they were using uh yeah they made up t-shirts for a giveaway then they sent me one too it doesn't look like the one they have in the picture there's no uh cut picture of the cover or anything on the front but on the back is all these uh made up tour dates of all the towns that bloody rose and her band go through kind of like a classic uh, judas priest tour yeah no they yeah they really went above and beyond uh with it especially with embracing the music theme it was something uh I think it was probably they were reluctant to do that very first when they first picked up the first book. Um, but when it comes to promoting, it's it's easy to come up with cool ideas for a music-themed book, I think. And talking about the music themes, is that something that readers kind of caught and latched onto? Or was that something that you intended uh, from the get-go? Was that was that your thing? For sure. That was actually the first, the very first idea that birthed the entire book was what if mercenary bands were treated like rock bands i was sure someone had already done it so i googled it uh and then no one had so i was like i better write this fucking book asap how long did it take you to write uh well oddly enough i wrote the first three chapters they just kind of came out blam they were and then i went back to the book that i was writing for 15 years before that uh, and spent another year uh, writing it and trying to split it in half and and sending that out to agents. And then when I said, well, I sent that out, uh, I distracted myself by writing Kings of the Wild. So that took about a year to write Kings of the, the first draft of Kings of the Wild. Hey, a, a year is pretty good, man. Uh, 
It's <laughs> it's certainly better than fifteen years no, for sure. No, it really was different. That other one, it's it's hard to call it a waste of time because I think it helped me develop a lot of my skills and make a lot of the mistakes that I think new writers tend to make. But uh, but boy, I made them all. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell us about how you got to be a published author? Uh, well, I really, really, really lucked out. I worked in a restaurant. I still work in restaurants, but I worked in a restaurant at the time and I saw on the reservation list one night, Sebastian de Castell's name. Yeah. Uh, who was a, wrote, wrote the book Trader's Blade and recently Spouselinger. And I knew he lived in Vancouver. So I'm like, ah, I wonder if that's the writer. So I asked the hostess to put him in my section and he came into my section and, uh, and we just kind of shot the shit about writing. And I mentioned that there was an agent uh, at the time who was interested in my book um, and that agent eventually said no, but by the time uh, I saw Sebastian again, I had finished the book and we met for coffee once and just kind of shot the shit a bit more. And he offered to pass it on to his agent. So his agent is now my agent. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. That, so that's never happened to me at all. How did you get your agent? Well, I mean, I, I had, I had author friends that recommended me to their agents or agents that they knew. Uh, even uh, Mark, Michael uh, Fletcher uh, recommended me to uh, Cameron McClure, who works for Donald Moss. And uh, I just went the, the regular way. I wrote a query letter and sent it to uh, my agent, Paul. And uh, and that, that was that. <laughs> all the stuff I'd done before didn't mean anything. It, it all came down to the simple... Uh, yeah. The, the simple method, you know, and I ended up with the same agency as Michael R. Fletcher anyway. Oh, that's a great agency. Great yeah. agency. Donald Moss. It, it, they're, they're awesome. I was definitely rejected by them for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you just sent, you just sent an email then? Yeah. I just sent a simple query letter like they teach you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that method still works for people out there who are listening. You don't necessarily have to know somebody. Although, I mean, that was awesome that you got to meet. Uh, that author while, while you were at the restaurant, man, that that doesn't happen to most people. Well, Sebastian likes to say it would uh, it would happen eventually for me, but at the same time, uh, I do feel lucky in that I found the exact right agent because uh, the agent that I'd been working with before wanted a lot of things changed, most of the music things taken right out. What? Um, no. And so, luckily, I when I got that, my new my current agent, she was like, put them all back in. Yes. And then sold it to an editor that was happy taking a chance on it too. So that's awesome. No, it it can't. In my mind, it cannot work without the music references. That's what makes the entire book. That's what puts it over the the edge. No. You know. Yeah. And it came very close. Like there was other another publisher that made an offer on it, and they also wanted all the music stuff taken out and and basically kind of like a Joe Abercrombie uh, clone almost. Oh, that uh, no that. That wouldn't have worked at all. I know, I know. So, uh, who was your editor, or who is your editor? Uh, it was uh, a woman named Lindsay Hall, um, who um, eventually got uh, poached by Tor. So she works for Tor now. Um, so now I have two different editors at Orbit. Bradley Englert is my editor there uh, in the U.S. office, um, who's kind of my main liaison, and then uh, a girl named Emily over in uh, the U.K. does it too. So with Bloody Rose, I had two editors. Uh, Oh, cool. So, uh, did you have it in your head to do a sequel to Kings of the Wild, or did they ask for it? Uh, I definitely started writing it well before that, but it was more when uh, when I got my agent. Um, she ins kind of insisted I work out a trilogy because that's 
uh, what she said publishers wanted. So sure enough, they did. Um, so yeah, it wasn't until, and I had the idea for bloody Rose just generally, but it wasn't until, uh, my editor with orbit insisted I add 50,000 words to Kings of the wild and adding those 50,000 words kind of allowed me to flesh out the world a bit more. And eventually gave me the storyline that, that, uh, moves the arc into the second and third book. So you're saying if I'm hearing correctly, that this is going to be a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I was contracted for three right off the bat. So. Awesome. So can you reveal the title to the third book? Uh, we don't know it yet. Actually, we, I have just fucking God awful with titles. I, would think I'd be good at it, but no. Um, so we had a few that were my editor liked and went to the orbit team and were rejected. Uh, and so now we've got one. Um, and I don't think I'm allowed to say it yet, but we've got one that it's like with the team and hopefully it's going to be, it's going to be the one, but it's been months and months and months and months of back and forth. I mean, that's good that you finally nailed it though. Yeah. I mean, with, okay. With the smoke eater series, I have absolutely no idea what to call the third book. Yeah. I mean, because you, the second one's Ash Kickers. Yeah, Ash Kickers. Yeah, which is they're great. Smoke Eaters. Guy. I fear. I, yeah. I mean, I thought about Fire Killers, but I don't well, know. Well, at least you've got a place to start with fire analogies. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah. 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 I'll brainstorm about it. I'll brainstorm about it. Hey, yeah. if you could come up with a cool one, I will. I will give you credit all day oh, long. Oh, fire analogies are my jam. That's oh, my yeah. First fifth, my first failed book was all about fire. I must have had thousands of them in there. So, well, let's talk about uh, Bloody Rose some more. I'm right in the middle, and they just met the widow, and they also met the tortoise guy, Grudge. And I'm wondering that because that reminded me of the sloth dude from uh, Zoo City or whatever that Disney movie was called. Uh, but it, was that a reference to something else? Yeah, there's a knife wielding turtle in every Final Fantasy that moves very, very slow. And his ultimate move that he uses when he finally reaches you is called uh, Everyone's Grudge. And that's where the name uh, came and from. And so that's okay. Grudge is a kind of homage to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your writing process. Uh, what What does an average day of writing look like for Nicholas Eames? I mean, you sit down, how many words do you do, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I asked you about yours uh, on Reddit the other day, and God, was I yeah. ever jealous. You said a thousand <laughs> words in an hour? Yeah, a thousand words an hour. Hour and a half, maybe. It depends. Um, yeah. But yeah. if I'm at the firehouse and I'm writing, and I'm right in the middle of a scene, and it's hot and it's good, Yeah. It, and then the tones go off and we have to go. Uh, yeah, it sucks. My process is just fucking awful. Uh, and it's something that I would love to improve on. Uh, and I will take advice from absolutely anyone uh, as to how to do that. Um, because I've, God, I've maybe, maybe twice in my whole life written more than a thousand words in a day. Oh, wow. And those were easily 18 hour days. Oh, golly. Um, when some deadline was over my head or something. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it is. I just, I just crawl along. Even in the old days when I didn't have any pressure, it, I'd be lucky if I got 500, I'd be like, oh, that's, that's fucking great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now I just write, cause I, I just nitpick the shit out of my stuff as I go. Oh yeah. Um, which is probably counterproductive because I'm going to probably come back later and change it. Yep. Uh, regardless, but yeah, I just can't seem to write quick. So these days I, I usually write, uh, on and off for like eight hours sometimes close to holy shit and i'm lucky if i get 500 words oh man i yeah it is slow 
kidding slow. <laughs> I I couldn't do that. I couldn't do eighteen hours a day or eight hours a day or that. I just get I get burned out. I mean, but you know, Stephen King he he does like two thousand words a day, but he takes breaks yeah. uh, in between, and yeah. that takes like him like all goddamn day. And I I just don't understand that. Well, I mean, lucky right now I've got yeah, I work in a restaurant and I've got a very patient girlfriend, and I just uh, you know, I can I can usually make that time in a day, but. But yeah, as like as you said, it seems ridiculous to write for that long and produce that little. So I'd really, really like to switch it up. Well, one thing for me that I know is that I'm going to have to come back to it anyway. I'm going to have to edit it. Um, so if I, it, and sometimes it's like I'm trying to think of that one word, that perfect word. But there is no perfect word, and nobody's going to notice it anyway when they read the book. So just keep going forward is my yeah. thing. And. I set yeah. a timer sometimes. I can do like 170 words every 10 minutes. Yeah, I'm actually going to go, uh, you're, you know, Miles Cameron, who writes the Red Knight series? Yeah, I've heard Red of him. Series. So his real name is Christian Cameron. He lives in Toronto. Um, and he is the most well-adjusted writer slash person I've ever met in my life. He churns out about three books a year. He's got no angst, no worries, no, you know, poor creative me. He just sits in a coffee shop from 8.30 in the morning until about two or three and just writes and uh wow and so i've met him a couple times and i've tried to adopt some of his strategies and i'm probably just going to go and see if i can stay with him for a week and sit beside him and let his constantly typing fingers guilt into writing more um because yeah yeah i mean he sounds like the kind of guy who wouldn't care if you just sat there and watched him right i think he would i mean i'm gonna try to write beside him and i i think it'll be I think it'll be a good experience for me just because I'll see someone who just relentlessly pushes on. And he's, I've talked to him on the phone before and he, he said things like, Oh, you know, you ever just write a chapter that, you know, won't make it into the book. And I'm like, Fuck, no, I don't. I don't have time for that. No, I don't even do that shit either. Um, but also, yeah, when he gets to something, he doesn't know what it is instead of Googling it or stressing over it or, you know, anything, he'll just put XXXXX and skip over it. Yeah. Um, which I would love to do. Yeah. I, I do the same thing. Yeah. I just can't at the moment. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're you're doing pretty well with what you got going on, though. I mean, it's it's working your process. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's been working so for me so far, and I probably won't be able to change it up in the course of writing this third book. But uh, for the future, I'd definitely like to develop better skills. Well, that's you know, you got the rest of your career to figure that out. Me too. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about genre. Uh, obviously Kings of the Wild and Bloody Rose is fantasy, but, uh, have you ever considered writing science fiction or, and what also draws you to fantasy as a genre? Uh, fantasy were just the first books I ever fell in love with. Lord of the Rings, um, was a big one. And then my favorite writer of all time, Guy Gavriel Kay, uh, is a fantasy writer, obviously bordering on historical fiction. Um, but yeah, fantasy books are just, yeah, to me, they're, I mean, sci-fi too, this includes sci-fi, but they just, uh, you can tell any story you want, whether it's about family or, or love or hatred or revenge or war or whatnot. Um, but in a setting, uh, that's fantastical, anything can happen. Whereas if you set it in Nova Scotia, modern day, then nothing good can happen. So yeah, I've, I've done, I do once in a while, I'll read a non fantasy book, but they just, they just usually tend to bore the shit in me because, Anything can happen in a fantasy book that happens in any other book, but more can happen in a fantasy book. I would really love to write uh, sci-fi someday, for sure. 
Yeah, and I'm the same way about the whole fantasy genre and science fiction genre mm-hmm. thing because it, people recommend books to me, and I always go, okay, well, does it have a dragon in it? No. Does it have lasers in it? No. <laughs> does it even have a guy uh, who died and the detectives are trying to figure out who did it? You know, m- murder, mystery, uh, crime, noir. No. Well, I don't give a shit. I don't. That's just not my thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I exactly. like I like uh, science fiction, fantasy. I mean, that's that's and horror even. I, li- I like horror, I like monsters and vampires and and cool things like that. And I and I like the freedom to be able to write and and all that kind exactly. of stuff. Yeah. Did uh, Did Angry Robot give you any grief about wanting to write a sci-fi story after a fantasy story or a fantasy-ish story? No, because Smoke Eaters it was a mixture of both genres. Really, I mean, it, it's in the future. Considered sci-fi? Yeah, kind of. When I asked the editor, because they they filed it under fantasy, and then I went back to the editor and was like, I mean, that's cool, but uh, what do you think genre this is? And he's like, well, it's science fiction. I mean, yeah, it does have dragons and ghosts and things, but it's it's in the future and you got lasers and stuff. So I guess I would call it science fantasy, but it, it kind of fit into both categories to where I could go either way. Yeah. And uh, thankfully, with daughters, uh, they they were totally cool with it. Angry Robots really chill about that kind of stuff as long as they like the book. Yeah, where does it end up on on bookstore shelves? Fantasy, obviously. Well, at Barnes and Noble, uh, they they put them together. Yeah, uh, science fiction and fantasy. All so it's just all they got to do is just find the G's and and slap my name up there. Gotcha. So what uh, in the G's? What big name authors are you beside that you're pretty psyched to be? Beside on the shelf, uh, Lev Grossman, uh, who who wrote the Magicians. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a great one. I, I saw him on Twitter. Or I posted uh, a thing on Twitter tagging him. And it's like, hey, look, man, we're gonna be shelf buddies for life. But Barnes and Noble did this thing where they put me on the triangle, and I don't know what the hell the triangle was, but apparently that's over by the magazines where everybody buys the books. Yeah. And I was on there with George R. R. Martin and Stephen King. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. This I'm a debut, man. And I'm up here with these dudes. I mean, that was really awesome. I think it was only for like two months, but it was pretty cool uh, that they that they did that. That was awesome. By the way, I nominated Kings of the Wild for everything. Nebula, friggin' Hugo Award. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's not, I don't know if it's quite Hugo material, unfortunately. But. Uh, what is Hugo material, though? That I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's more literary or something. I consider the Hugos are like kind of like the Oscars of book awards so you can love a star wars movie but it's not it's no yeah it's not going to be up for an oscar well i nominated you for the campbell award too though i mean yeah that's awesome you're, you're a new writer well, so that works i at least i at least got uh, i got a couple i got a couple uh pretty incredible awards that i'm super stoked to have so yeah you got the stabby yeah the stabby they both have weapons on them and then the the gimmel yeah gimmel award that gimmel award is awesome uh, and I saw RJ took it. Oh, it's like RJ Barker. He 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 somehow ended up with it. <laughs> well, he went to the ceremony. He went to the ceremony, and he had a car to take it home. So I think that's how it happened. Yeah, and RJ's such a great guy. He he's been a guest on the show before. Yeah, and uh, more metal than any other author, even the me. Oh, he's fantastic. Eh? Yeah, he's. I mean, I think it's the hair that really does it because. Uh, hereditary genes have fucked me over so i can't really grow uh hair like him or where i got to meet him when i went to uh, london last summer and he was unmistakable because he was wearing full black leather in the heat of summer oh my god that's a skill i don't care what anybody says 
that's just as good as being good at that's physics true. or yeah. cosmetology. Uh, so the, the, the question I want to ask next is a lot of times when interviewers ask authors questions, they don't really get to get across uh, a lot of things. But what is something you want readers to know what they should get from the book? Uh, well, people are generally so far picking up on a lot of the, a lot of the themes. I mean, there's people that, that don't, uh, you know, that might have, they say disparaged it, but, um, but maybe just didn't get what I was going for. Cause it is a slower book than Kings of the wild. It doesn't quite have the breakneck pacing. Um, and it's a more serious book than Kings of the wild. Um, but I mean, there's still a couple of references I'm waiting for people to call me out on. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, if you them, there's like some a dumb and dumber one. I don't you haven't got there yet, but no. uh, there's a say anything reference that no one's picked up on yet. That's to me bl- glaringly obvious. Oh, but. I mean, is it like Tam out there holding the loot out instead of a no, boot box? No, it's not that one. It's not that one. That'd be a good. One. That'd be a good one. Uh, so that you'll so that you'll uh, you'll know it when you get to it. It's the scene uh, where John Cusack is in the phone booth after they break up, and he's like, "I gave her, I gave her my heart." Uh, and she gave me a pen. She gave me a pen. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. So it's that. It's that. That's, that's. But otherwise, yeah. It's just. I mean, uh, it's been really gratifying to see people pick up on things like Rose's character because she's pretty flawed and she's you know supposed to be this this role model for the main character. Or at least that's what the main character thinks in the beginning. Um, and in the end, Rose herself has a lot of work to do before she becomes somebody worthy of being a role model. So um, I think by the end of the book, you do see her kind of go through some things like that. But she's such a flawed character. Um, like she's a mother, as you'll know by now. Yes. Um, but one that doesn't want to be a mother and had yeah. no intentions of being a mother. And and uh, I think it's pretty rare to see that in fantasy books. Someone's either a mother or they're not a mother. And if they are a mother, they're a doting mother. Right. Um and if they're a shit, a shit person, right? There's no middle ground usually. So I think it's it's rare to see someone, yeah, who's like you know doing what they want to do with their life, and and yeah, they had a kid and maybe it wasn't what they wanted and maybe they'll come around to being a great mother in the end, but who knows? So I think it makes her kind of unique as a character out there. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I love every single one of the characters, uh, and the, and and which is good. Because uh, they're they're totally different from the characters who were in the Kings of the Wild. Yeah, well, I really really appreciate that. I think I, I definitely took a more time this this book to uh, to dive into the characters and flesh them out. Each scene in Kings of the Wild, the characters in Kings of the Wild get kind of maybe one heart to heart where they, you know, reveal a bit more about themselves. Um, but Bloody Rose, you kind of get to you kind of get to get a bit more into them and learn about them on the road so that when the stakes are high, you, you give a shit, hopefully. Yeah. I'm giving a shit totally so far. Um, I'm actually at the part where they meet the widow and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And Hawkshaw, I believe his name is. And, uh, they are going to fight the dragon eater and I'm like, Oh, hold up. <laughs> it's a dragon. So you better do it right. Eames. Cause I know dragons. Well, the thing was originally, it originally was just a dragon. And, uh, and then I'm just like, no, I got to, I got to up the Andy on this one because the last book had a dragon. So yeah, uh, it's something a little bit different, but, and then it also, I was slightly glad of that because, well, no, what I'm going to about to say is a spoiler. So I won't tell you, but yeah, anyways, oh, okay. uh, 
Yeah, I'm slightly glad of that. I'm glad I changed it from a dragon to a dragon eater, which is a bit of a different creature. Yeah, kind of up the stage. Yeah, I think you'll like it. There's a chapter uh, called 17 Seconds. It's kind of a weird one. Um, 17 Seconds. But I think it's pretty cool. So is that like... Yeah, the battle. It's a battle. a chapter called 17 Seconds. So it's a battle that only lasts 17 seconds? Uh. Basically, well, that part of the chapter, yeah, it basically counts down 17 seconds and what happens in each second um, and kind of parses it out. Oh, nice. I'm, yeah. I'm really digging it so far, man. It's awesome. I hope you like it. Yeah. Uh, and the thing about sequels is that a good sequel, at least in my mind, is a sequ- is, it's, it's like coming back home. You remember all these characters. Mm-hmm. You remember all these places. And it's just... it, it, it uh, it's that warm, fuzzy feeling, and I've I've never written a sequel until recently. Um, well, thanks, I appreciate that. Is Ash Kickers turned in or coming yeah, out? Yeah, I turned it in. Uh, it was due October first, and yeah. I turned it in like right before I went to WorldCon. So <laughs> I was yeah. like two months early. Well, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that'll fucking never happen to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I. I I'm, I work really really well uh, with deadlines for some reason. But uh, let me ask you another question. Uh, one final question, since we're gonna wrap things up. Uh, and you may get asked this a lot. I get asked this a lot, and some people get annoyed uh, by this question, or because they don't want to sound redundant. But uh, what is something that you wish you would have known when you first got started in this writing game, or something that you've learned along the way that you want to pass on to other people? Oh, I think that's a pretty easy answer for me. Um, it would be uh, to not let your real life kind of uh, be squandered as you're pursuing the dream of writing because it definitely, being a writer isn't what I thought it would be. I looked at the, used to look at the bookshelves and assume that everyone that had a book was a full-time writer. Um, and that once you got that publishing deal, you could quit your regular job and and bam. But the reality is that you know, you know, like five or 1% of people are full-time writers. And now I look at the bookshelf and I, and I know like who does what for a living and it sure as hell ain't writing except for the, you know, the big guns. Um, so I think a lot of people tend to, whether it's pass up promotions or let relationships suffer or do whatever, uh, they do to sacrifice for that writing career. But when that writing career comes, you're going to need, uh, all kinds of other, things in your life to keep you grounded and keep you sane, I think. Um, so luckily I do love working in restaurants. I do love the people I've met there. Um, but yeah, don't, don't put all your eggs in that basket, follow your other dreams as well. Um, because writing, uh, even for the people that do it professionally is, uh, is not necessarily a, a sustaining way of keeping a, a good steady income coming in. Yeah. And, and my whole thing too is diversification. Um, because I'd, I'd write for comics and I'm actually working on that. And I saw on Twitter that, uh, you actually, besides books, want to write video games. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. You could do it. Yeah. You could do it. But I want to let everybody know again that Bloody Rose is out now. Uh, Kings of the Wild as well. And thank you so much, Nick, for coming on. Oh, I appreciate you asking me, man. Nice to meet you. Well, we met in World Con. For a second time. Yeah. (laughs) 